TwoQuestions.tv. Brief questions, deep knowledge for executives, entrepreneurs, and small business owners. Welcome to TwoQuestions.tv. I'm your host, Susan Barantini Mo. I'm here today with Dr. Jody Foster. Dr. Foster is a clinical professor of psychiatry in the Perlman School of Medicine at the University of Pennsylvania. And get ready, this is a long list. She's the Vice Chair for Clinical Operations in the Department of Psychiatry at the University of Pennsylvania Health System and Chair of the Department of Psychiatry at Pennsylvania Hospital. She attained her MBA with a concentration in finance from the Wharton School. She's very impressive. Dr. Foster, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Welcome to the show. I enjoyed your book, The Schmuck in My Office. <laughs> delighted, delighted to hear that. And I've been talking about this on Fridays, letting my viewers know that we're going to be talking, you and I, and, and sort of musing about whether or not I, as the only person in my office, am the de facto schmuck in my office. <laughs> I think I must be. <laughs> and the de facto not schmuck in your office. Yes, I like that. I'm both. Yeah. Well, um, I thought this book was particularly relatable because you started this book with a poop story. I did. I did. Very, very exciting. One of, one of many, by the way. <laughs> I really, yes, very, yeah. I, you had me from that. That was, <laughs> I was in. <laughs> so, Dr. Foster, um, in my work with executive coaching clients, I often think about, and, and I know you're not familiar with Harville Hendricks's work. I, I, we talked about this before the show, but he talks about childhood wounds and how we bring our childhood wounds into our personal relationships. Specifically, he talks about our marital and significant other relationships. I've often thought that extends to work as well, although he doesn't really talk about that. But your book is the first time I've really seen someone go, yeah, this is true. And someone with a considerable amount of expertise and authority that I could go, okay, I believe her. Um, in personal relationships, Dr. Hendricks talks about how partners in, in the context of this significant other relationship can help their significant others heal their childhood wounds through that relationship. And it seems kind of like the strategies that you outlined in your book were kind of referencing that, not, not referencing his work, but referencing a similar concept. And I wondered, um, are the strategies that you talk about designed to protect the, uh, we're assuming the reader is the non-schmuck, and so are, we, are, are you designing these to protect the reader and help him or her to cope with the schmucks in the office, or can they help to heal the childhood wounds of their coworkers, not therapeutically per se, but, but in engaging in these strategies that you talk about. And, and also, is that part of why it seems to me there's a theme that runs through the book referencing childhood experiences and the use of effective parenting techniques as well? So, a uh, long question, right? It is, I know, but I only get two. I have to make them compound. <laughs> so, um, uh, in my field, we wouldn't call it uh, childhood wounds per se. We, we might call it conflicts. Um, and so with each of the uh, types of people I describe, there's, there's a pretty clear conflict going on. So the, you know, the bean counter is conflicted uh, because they're terrified of losing control. The narcissist is conflicted because he or she you know, has cripplingly self-esteem, cripplingly low self-esteem, and so has to expand themselves just to feel sort of safe and, and uh, uh, protected from all that. Um, so can people heal other people? Well, um, again, in my field, there's a big difference between personality traits and a personality disorder. 
Right. Um, so you can't even diagnose a personality disorder until someone's 18 years old because it takes, you know, a, a good long time to become that way. And uh, similarly, it would take a good long time to not become that way. So I, I, but again, we're in the workplace, we hopefully don't have too many people with actual disorders. We just have people with traits. But even traits, they are, they, they are developed over time. And, um, and they're the ways that we cope with the world, whether, you know, whether we're uh, contending with hiding or, or um, trying to protect ourselves from other people having access to our wounds or conflicts or whatever it is. This is what we do. Um, and, and I guess the point of the book is that we can't then suddenly just not bring those traits to the office. And so they're there. So uh, to your question, is it for the reader, uh, you know, the, the not schmuck versus the schmuck? It really is uh, for both because you'll notice some of the techniques are designed to sort of uh, shield and protect a fragile person. And others, like in the Venus flytrap character, where the issue is a lot of uh, acting out around a, an, um, uh, a lack of clarity and an ambivalence around boundaries, the uh, institution of, of what I would call therapeutic boundaries by a coworker or a boss or whomever can in fact be extremely therapeutic and helpful to, to that particular person. So yeah, um, over and over, I think that, uh, and, and um, just think again about Mr. Hyde. I mean, an intervention with, with someone who's struggling with uh, an addiction and helping them get to help is, so I, I do think that um, the book is very much written for both sides of the equation. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I confess to you, I guess people confess to you a lot. <laughs> you have a very calming presence. I, I, I confess to you before we started recording the interview, and I'm not, I'm not ashamed to admit it, as I was reading your book, I, I, I had an idea that there was a time where I may have been the schmuck in my office, but as I was reading your book, I thought, oh yeah, I, I was the schmuck in my office. There, yes, I'm, I'm glad I'm not that person anymore, but of course, how would we know? I'm, I, work by, <laughs> I work from home, I'm alone here. But, but, but I, I, I wondered if you could share a few things that if someone is watching this right now and they start to think, well, maybe, or, or they're reading your book, or they're kind of, you know, learning about it, if they, and they start to think, I might be the schmuck in my office. What could they start to do if they don't want to be the schmuck in their office to start to shift and experience and change so they're not quite so schmucky? Right. So um, if we take a step back and wonder why someone is, is you know, what, what is a schmuck? It's a completely subjective term. Uh, it's a term that, you know, didn't come... Uh, from my uh, psyche, it's, it's quite literally the chief complaint that I get over and over again when people call me for help. I have this schmuck, I should have called you 10 years ago. So, um, you know, it, it, being, being uh, a schmuck is, it's pretty ubiquitous because how can you really get through life without someone thinking you're a schmuck somewhere and sometime? <laughs> Right? I mean, I certainly, you know, have, have, have been the schmuck in the office. So I read that. <laughs> so, so the question, you know, the question is, uh, when you discover that you're the schmuck, or let's put it a different way, let, when you discover that the traits that you're bringing uh, with you to the office are not melding well with the culture of the office, with your team, with your boss, with whatever it is, an important question is, you know, is what I'm doing really uh, wrong, 
or is it just counter to this particular culture and maybe I'm misplaced in that culture? So that becomes a very important first question. Um, you know, as a case in point in medical school, I was extremely interested in, in surgery. I have the natural constitution more of a surgeon than of a psychiatrist. But at the time, the culture in surgery, which has, you know, uh, done a 180, the culture in the operating room was, was not comfortable to me. And mm -hmm. so I, you know, I, I don't know that I was necessarily the schmuck, but I, I, I realized that I couldn't be there. But let's, you know, take it a step further. And yeah, you're finding that, that something you're doing is, is causing strife for other people. And it's something that you naturally do and you don't really know how to stop doing it. And you don't want to leave, you know, you really like where you are. When you discover that you are this person, people generally have two reactions to it. One is, well, this is how I am. Screw you. And, <laughs> and you know, and I'm not going to change and it's your fault. Such a person is not really on the path of change. Probably not. <laughs> and, and, and the only recourse that, you know, the, the, the office setting has is to try to set limits so that that person, uh, uh, troublesome behaviors are limited and they, and they can play in a sandbox that's kind of neutral. The best scenario, and again, as a psychiatrist, the scenario that I wish would happen to all of us <laughs> is that we have an aha moment and we say, wow, I, I have this particular trait and it's, and it's built upon a particular you know, anxiety or conflict that I have and I don't like it about myself and I see that others don't like it about me either. Well, that's like a gift because it's setting you on a path. When you discover that there's something about yourself that you don't like, the world is your oyster. That's when people are able to change. That's when people can go pursue uh, you know, help of some sort, whatever it is, coaching, therapy, you know, uh, any number of things. Um, and, and that desire not to be like that is almost all you need in so many cases. So, when somebody realizes that they are the schmuck, I think it, I, I think it's nothing less than a gift, and it's a big. It, it's like it's like opening a roadmap for you of how to make your life and your yourself better. That's exciting. That's good to know. Absolutely. <laughs> so if you're a schmuck, you're not always going to be a schmuck. Absolutely. Um, okay, I don't normally do this, but may I throw a surprise bonus question oh, at dear. you? Oh <laughs> dear. If you rename your, if you rename the show. Um, Three questions. 2.5 questions.tv. <laughs> well, you said something that, um, and, and like I said, I don't usually do this, but you said something that I find I've, I've been, I've been reading a lot of uh, books for the show and, and, you know, I, I've heard again and again and again, and I feel like you're the one person who could answer this question. You said, <laughs> ah, what could it be? <laughs> you said that people frequently call you and say, I've got this schmuck, I should have called you 10 years ago. Yeah. I've been reading in book after book, people saying, people tell me, you know, I wish they would have called me or they wish I would have called, I wish I would have called you 10 years ago. Why do people wait so long? It's, it's such a wonderful question. People wait because people are uncomfortable with uncomfortable topics. Mm -hmm. And so first of all, you know, it's uncomfortable to confront someone with something you don't like about them. It's, you know, sure. we all learn. It's, you know, if you don't have something nice to say, don't say anything at all. But then of course, you know, there are the fears. I'll say something and nothing's gonna happen. I'll say something and they're gonna retaliate against me. I'll say something to my boss and he's gonna fire me. You know, right. 
it's very scary. Um, but, you know, we see this in all walks of life. Like when somebody has lost a loved one or when somebody has a, a serious illness, everybody suddenly doesn't know how to talk to them. And, you know, this is what gets in the way. You know, I have a little, uh, a little son, and when he was in, in pre-K, whenever they would have conflicts on the, the uh, uh, playground, you know, like every, anyone else, they would run to the teacher and say, so-and-so did this to me. And the teacher would, you know, take them by the shoulder and turn them around and say, well, then you go tell her that you did not like that. Yes. And, we, and we lose that as, as we grow up and, and, you know, become, quote-unquote, nuanced adults. We lose that, and I, I really think we shouldn't. And I think that the more direct and honest and, trans and, and clear and concise and transparent we can be with one another, the workplace can be a much, much, much better scene. I did find that so, um, so useful and refreshing is th that in your book, you talk about, listen, just talk to people, just, just have a conversation. Like, you know, it's so strange that we don't think to do that. Well, and, and, and so, and, and because it is uncomfortable, you know, I, 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 I very much understand that people are not going to read the book and then suddenly, you know, beat their chest and say, I'm going to confront everybody. You know, no. I, I suddenly have power. It doesn't work like that. So all I'm really asking is we all know our comfort zones. We all know the point at which we become uncomfortable. And all I'm asking people to do is, is just move the bar a little bit and see how it goes because chances are it's gonna be a win. And when you collect that little victory, it gives you the courage to try the next time and the next time and the next time until you're doing it all the time. And again, this is how change happens. Moving that bar a little bit is a lot less scary than beating your chest and moving it a lot. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Dr. Foster, thank you so much for being on the show and talking with me. It was my pleasure. Well, viewers, this is the book, The Schmuck in My Office, and it's a wonderful book. It's full of practical suggestions um, to help you have more effective working relationships with anyone, but particularly a schmuck. So definitely get a hold of this book and read it. And if you found this interview as useful and informative as I did, please click the thumbs up button and subscribe so you don't miss any more episodes of this show. Thanks for watching. I'll see you next time. This has been twoquestions.tv. To subscribe to our YouTube channel, learn more about the show, the guests, and our host, Susan Barancini-Mo, visit us at www.twoquestions.tv.